You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. church how was your week was it good hey my name's pastor mel and i'm one of the pastors here at victory and you know sometimes i still think i'm new but i've actually been here for i don't know 17 or something years um but i've had a great week it's been a full week um have i got any swimming carnival mums in the room if you've got school you've been at a swimming carnival this week um i also had the joy of taking my four-year-old son on a train trip and in newcastle it seriously takes you two hours to catch a train that lasted for two minutes. Part of that was they forgot to update the timetable that they'd actually cancelled all the trains on Tuesday. But, um, but that was a joy. And when I asked him at the end, how was it, Joshy? He said, that was, that was bad, Mum. It just wasn't long enough. <laughs> so there's no keeping him happy. Um, and our other exciting news this week that I did want to share with you is that we had a pet huntsman for a week. And uh, you can ask Zach about this later. This was actually very cool. So my kids love David Attenborough. So they watch a lot of David Attenborough. And Grace didn't think this was so good. She's my eldest daughter because the huntsman came from her room. That's where we found it. And so we put it in this like clear Perspex jar and it sat on our table and the boys had great fun watching this thing for the week. And They either caught or found a fly, don't know how they got it, and they decided what would it be like to put the fly in with the spider. So we managed to get it in the same container, and we watched it, and we would have watched it for like a good five minutes, and for a while, that spider did nothing. Like, it did not look interested at all. I kind of thought it might be half dead because we hadn't actually given it any air, Um, but I don't think the container was actually airtight. So we're just watching, and we're watching, And then suddenly, it's like a David Attenborough moment, that spider moved so fast and it grabbed that fly and much to my boy's delight, they watched it eat the fly. (laughs) I then had um, Jenny Edwards come over for V Group um, on Sunday. She wasn't as impressed with my pet huntsman. Spider asked it to be removed and it did have an unfortunate death this week. But there's some of the exciting things that are happening in our group, um, sorry, in our household. And I was going to give a little plug for our V groups. Come on. Who's in a V group? I'm in a V group. I'm running a V group. We have another new V group. The Newmans are running a new one. And we've got heaps. The Pagets are running a new one. We've got lots happening. And if you're not in one, you need to get in one. I promise if you don't like spiders, see, we took it away because we remove all barriers to get you to a V group. But hey, in amongst my fun and busy week, I, and for a few weeks beforehand, have been really reading this passage of Scripture that we're going to tackle today. And if you want to grab your Bibles out um, and turn to James chapter 2, we've made it to the second chapter. Um, You know, we're in week three of our series now, and we've had some great teaching and preaching on this, word, on this letter from James in the last two weeks. I loved Pastor Dan Gorey. Who loved Pastor Dan Gorey? He has got a gift of communication and he just unpacked that word and just showed us, hey, there's a different life that we live in Jesus. And then Pastor Nate's message last week, I was convicted along with him because I'm not that person that is slow to speak and slow to become angry. So I've been working on that with God 
Um, but I really loved how he talked about that art of conversation, like reviving that. And actually, Pastor Darren and I were having a chat this week about sometimes with kids, what you see on the outside is not what's actually happening underneath. And when you listen and you take the time, not just to come in with your advice or what you think should be said, you find some gold and people change. So that art of conversation, thinking about what we say, is really important. And I kind of think, James, it's full of heart questions. It really makes us look and go, okay, what does faith in Jesus actually look like in the way that we think, in the way that we speak, and in the way that we act? And it really makes us have a look at that and answer that question ourselves. So we're going to read James chapter 2, and we're going to tackle the first 13 verses today. So let's read it together. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, oh, here, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, ah, you can stand over there, or you can go and sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming this noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Whew. Do you put that one up on Instagram? You know, that's like my top 10 motivational scripture right there. That's, that's a weighty chapter, or half a chapter, that we're actually going to tackle today. And um, I like what the commentary says that we've been looking at. The voice of James has some potent words about economic injustice and even public policy, and it makes many of us feel uncomfortable in our comforts. So we're going to pray today because we're going to get a little bit uncomfortable, but we're going to pray that the Spirit speaks to us in our discomfort and shows us a way of life because He loves us and He's just leading us into the best that He's got for us. Let's pray. God, I know you've got a word of life today that's going to bring God joy to our hearts. It's going to show us that you always have a better way for us because you love us and because you love those around us. Holy Spirit, I know you're going to speak into some of our uncomfortable bits today. And we just pray that our hearts would be open because we know that there is no condemnation in you. But there's only life-giving word that builds up our spirit and transforms us into something that resembles, God, your image. So Holy Spirit, we are open to your word today. 
and we pray that it would go forth and it would do what you planned for it to do. Amen. Now, I will let you in on a secret. I actually really like James. I like people who just tell it like it is. Like, don't fluff around, don't have an elephant in the room, just get direct, get to the point, put it out there, and then I can kind of deal with it afterwards. So I like James, and I like the way that he writes, even though it may not always be easy to hear. And over the past few weeks, we've been hearing a lot about the context that James has written, and we know that he's writing to this new community, and it's the first church, and it's, it's really exciting because these are Jews who have chosen to follow Jesus. And so there's a lot of promises in the Bible about the Messiah and what the Messiah would mean to the Jewish people and this new kingdom that the Messiah would usher in. And so you've got to understand that these people are excited because for them, they see, hey, we're at this epicenter of what God is actually about to do in and through us. But at the same time, these people are a lot like us. Because their whole social, religious, political, you know, family, all of their world that they have known up to now is changed with this decision to follow Jesus. And they're wrestling out, okay, what does all that mean with this new way that Jesus has got for us? Now that we've entered into this relationship with Jesus, it's not just a matter of saying yes to Jesus, it's actually something that follows that. And what does that look like? And the best example I can think about is marriage. Probably thinking about it, it's our anniversary next Sunday. And Simon and I have been married for 12 years next Sunday, which is actually just under a third of my entire life. So you would expect that I look a little bit different today than I did 12 years ago. There's some really practical signs of that, like I have a great love for health and, a, and an appreciation for that um, since being married to Simon for 12 years because that is his passion. Um, you know, I have four kids and I drive a bus now. That comes along. That's different from the Mel that was prior to marrying Simon. But there's also a lot of internal things that are different in me. Because when you get married and you get in that relationship together, you would know there's constantly, you know, you're coming up against these things where you're like, okay, if we're going to stay in alignment here, if we're going to keep going in the direction that we want to go for this relationship, then we're going to have to make some changes so that we can stay on the same page. And that's what James is talking with the assumption of with this community. And I thought before we actually dive into the micro here, like he makes it pretty clear in verse one, he's going to talk about favoritism. So we're going to hit that today. But before we actually dive into that micro issue, we really have to understand the assumptions and I guess the expectation that James writes to this community with. Because if we understand that, it changes the way that we read this passage. Because if you read it without that, I'll be honest, it's a really hard passage and it sounds kind of harsh. And it's got a lot of stuff about sin and being a lawbreaker and adultery and murder and judgment without mercy. And it's, it's a little bit hard to understand in the context of what we know God to be this gracious and merciful God who loves us so much. And if we read it outside of the context of that, then we're going to get a little bit lost and we're not going to get this beautiful richness that God has for us. And, you know, I don't think this concept of, you know, being in a relationship and covenant is a, uh, like a foreign thing 
but it's certainly probably not something that we see modelled really well in today's day and age. It's just too easy to go, nah, nah, that's not really working for me. I'm going to go a different way. Or um, I I don't really want to change that. I like the way that I'm going, and so I'm just going to keep going in that direction. But when we choose to follow Jesus, we actually are choosing a new way. And that choice binds us together with God. Not in like a one-off decision, like an insurance policy. And I'll just check it out maybe every year to make sure I'm getting the best deal. And then I'll just stick with it out of sight, out of mind until I need to deal with it again. Or if I need to pull it up because I've got an issue. But coming into relationship with Jesus is actually an entire relationship. And it actually means that every aspect of our life changes because we want it to. Because we know that God in his great gracious and mercy has given us, you know, freedom, forgiveness. He has completely taken our sins away from us and changed our eternity. And we, so we want to, in the way back, is to align ourselves with his will. Because we know that he is good. And we know that he is God. And we know that he loves us. So we make these choices, not just the one-off choice, but these daily decisions every day to walk in line with Jesus. That's kind of the context that James is writing or the assumption for these people in James here. He's going, hey, I know you've made a decision to follow Jesus. So I'm assuming that that means that you actually want to follow Jesus, which means you actually want to change your life to look like Jesus. So I'm going to tell you something that you can do, a really important thing that makes you look like Jesus. And I'm going to show you why to not choose that is really not a great decision. But in the end, the choice is yours. You get to choose whether you're going to continue to remain in God and align yourself with him. But that's the context that James is writing to. And it's not easy. Like it wasn't easy for them. That's not easy for us because whether you know it or not, you are completely conditioned to think and act and speak in so many ways before you know Jesus. You have a family heritage, a history, experiences in your life. You have culture, you have ethnicity, you have the world, you have celebrities, you have media, you have your work, you have all these things that shape how you see life, what you say, what you think and what you act. And then when you meet Jesus, you get given this, which is like a whole new way of life. And you get the Holy Spirit, which helps you to live it out. And you get this community of faith, which helps keep you accountable and inspired and passionate because we're all walking towards the same goal. But it's not always easy. We've got to get real with that. We can't kind of judge because we're going to talk about judgment. We don't want to judge the people in James because we're actually a lot like them. And that's why the Word of God that's written to, Jan- to the community here is so relevant to us because we don't always get it right. And James is actually not just a nice list of suggestions or advice that we can go, okay, I'll put that on the 2021 to-do list because I've got a few other things in my world right now. No, James is a passionate letter of encouragement of, hey, If you want to follow the way of Jesus, then this is it. And don't think that this is another thing on your to-do list because if you follow him and love Jesus and allow the Spirit to work in your life and choose to do that, then he'll outwork that in your heart. He'll do the work for you. It's a real call to this authentic faith. I think Pastor Nate last week finished with this pure religion. 
The whole letter of James is all about this call to an authentic Christianity. Authentic Christianity is seen in the way we think, in the way that we talk, and in the way that we act. And you know what? The people of our world has seen hypocritical Christianity. I think they've seen lukewarm Christianity. I think they've seen when it suits me Christianity. If I feel like it Christianity, but I tell you what, it makes an incredible difference. It is life-changing when they see authentic Christianity. That is what brings life to the community around us. And that's what James is doing here. He's actually calling us up to who we are. And so when we read it, we don't read with judgment. We don't read this passage with condemnation. We read this passage with, ah, oh, thank you, Jesus. You have got something amazing for me. And I want to walk in that life because there's so much freedom there and it's my best life. So let's jump in to James with this concept of there's a whole new way. And that's what James is writing to the church about. Okay, so we are having a main course meal today. I decided it's not milk and cookies day. But that's good because that's how the Word of God shapes and changes us and makes us, you know, I often think we want to be better people, right? And we want to help create a better world. And that's what the Word of God does when we allow passages like this to shape the way that we are. And that's a good thing. Amen? All right. So I like to call the first part of James the faulty default. And if you didn't know it, I'm going to break it to you that we all have a faulty default. And if you stick with me in this first passage of James, we're going to see that, but we're going to see that there's a different one that we can live under. So in this first part of James, he's pretty clear. Hey, guys, there's favoritism in the church. And if you believe in Jesus, those two things cannot go together. What they were actually doing is favoring the rich at the expense of the poor. And they were doing this in public. Like it was actually in their, it was times like this. You know, I imagine if next week walking in through the door, you know, you've got Chris Hemsworth walks in. And then maybe beside Chris Hemsworth, there's a homeless man from up the street who maybe hasn't had access to a shower for a week. And those two people walk in the door and what the church were doing is to the Chris Hemsworth saying, oh my goodness, so good to have you. Come and sit down right here next to Pastor Nate. Do you need a bottle of water? Um, can I get your visitor bag? We'll put a double chocolate in there because you're awesome. It's so good to have you at church. That's great. We love to be welcoming. But then what was happening was the homeless person was kind of like, oh, Oh, I don't want to put them next to Chris Hemsworth. That wouldn't create a good image of the church and the Christianity that we want people to see. So why don't you just go sit up the back here um, or he said sit at your feet, but well, maybe we put him in the kids section. I don't know, but that's what was happening. And when we see it that way, part of you kind of goes, oh, maybe I wouldn't show it. Maybe I wouldn't do that in such obvious fashion, but there is a part of us that would already prejudge before people walk through that door and how we would um, operate with them. And so he gives an example of it here and the context in the Jewish community was what you wore and the jewellery that you had indicated your wealth and status. So, you know, in case they wanted to argue the point here, James is making it pretty clear. This gentleman is wealthy and he has status and this is how you're treating him and this gentleman doesn't have anything because he was wearing filthy clothes. 
So he is poor. He doesn't have anything to give you and you are treating him accordingly. And, you know, James points out that this is inconsistent because favoritism was not in Jesus' biography. You know, he says, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? I don't think you could actually read the Gospels and not see that Jesus had an incredible love for the poor. Story after story after story shows that he put such value on them. I was actually just hearing or reading the story of Jairus um, with, I don't know if that's how you say it, but anyway, with um, the daughter who died with my daughter. We were reading it the other night and, and, you know, Jesus is on the way to heal his daughter and, and on the way he is stopped by this woman who was an outcast in society because of her health issue. And Jesus doesn't go, can you just wait there? i got to go and do this job first because this guy's important and he could really advance my cause. Um, and then I'll come back. I'll come back later and help you then. He, he stops and he ministers to that lady, at, even though it actually led to this daughter of the really important synagogue ruler. She actually dies in the process. That's a happy end of the story because Jesus can raise people from the dead. But I think there's a really powerful lesson in there seeing that Jesus always had time for everyone. Whether they were rich or whether they were poor, he had time for everyone. But he did have this incredibly special love for those who were constantly day in and day out under the judgment system of the world. He didn't chuck them to the back of the auditorium. He didn't tell them to come back tomorrow. He had time for them. He saw something in them. And I kind of like James's next bit in the scripture here. I think he's having a little bit of fun with sarcasm. That's how I read it. He kind of goes, is it not the rich? Um, can you just wake up for a second? Because I think the rich are actually the ones that are exploiting you. Aren't they the ones that are actually dragging you into court? Didn't I hear them kind of slandering the name of God every day? And that was an incredible insult to the Jews. The Jews actually wouldn't even say the name of God because it was so holy to them. So to have a Gentile slandering this name of their almighty God, which was so important to them, that was like the insults of all insults that you would just never recover from. And yet those are the guys that they're favoring. Are you starting to ask in your head, why? Why? Why are they showing favoritism? And if you're going to show favoritism, why are they favoring the very people that are hurting them? That's a good question to be kind of mulling around in your mind. Why? And then I find that James gets even more real with us. And sometimes these are the little bit hard bits of scripture. But we're going we're gonna to go there. We're going to hit them today. So in verse 9, it says, But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So James is real here. He's saying favoritism is not okay. It's actually not a little slip up. It's not a little something that just can be wiped over. We have to see that favoritism is actually sin. And sin is something that we don't want to do. It's choosing to turn away from the way that God sees people. And it's choosing to look at them in a different system. It's sin. 
And in verse 10, it says, And whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty at breaking all of it. Sin is sin, period. I can't imagine, imagine your kid comes up. I imagine my little Joshy boy comes up and goes, Yes, mum, I hit Zach on the head, but I gave Esther my toy. That like equals it out, doesn't it? I did a thing of kindness and I did a thing of anger. Doesn't that all like equal out in the wash? Doesn't matter. And God says, no, sin's not like that. Sin doesn't cancel each other out. You've got to kind of find the two sins that equal. And if I do more of that one and less of that one, then I'm actually coming out on top. James is kind of saying to them, no, sin is something that takes root in your heart. And it doesn't matter what type of sin it is. If you actually allow it to start growing in there, then sin is sin. And it can only lead to things that are not good for you. So let's just not pretend that this is a little thing. Let's actually call it for what it is. That's why I really like James. And in verses 12 to 13, it says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Oh, but Mel, don't we live under grace? Didn't? God come and send his son Jesus so that we no longer are judged. Like it's, it's all done, it's past. Why is Jesus, or why is James, sorry, speaking about judgment without mercy towards those who don't show mercy? Jesus absolutely did come and take away all of our sin. That is undebatable. And if you put your faith in him, then you are righteous before God. That is an amazing truth. But the Bible still says that all men will be judged. And I'm not going to go into the depth of this today because we don't have enough time. But the righteousness of Christ absolutely is applied to us. But the actions and the words that we speak now are still weighed. And we will be rewarded to the level that we have lived this life of grace and mercy. And the beautiful thing in that part of the scripture that I love is he talks about this law of liberty. You know, following this law of liberty, it's because what God commands actually lead to our freedom. Whereas the reason he's talking about judgment without mercy is because if we choose to step outside of the ways of God and the commands that he has for us, we actually lose freedom. We don't gain freedom in this place because we can now do whatever we want to do. We'll actually find that it's going to lead to things that we don't want to walk in. It actually binds us up. It actually stops us living our best life. It actually really traps us in our own actions, whereas following God's way actually leads to life and leads to freedom. And I know, we don't like talking about consequences. I am more than happy to talk about consequences with my kids. But I don't like when someone starts talking about consequences to me. It's not really a comfortable conversation but, you know, God is a father to us and he puts, you know, things in our world and he calls us to follow certain ways and there are consequences. And the only reason that um, we're going to experience them if we choose to walk away from him, and it's because he loves us and he calls us to walk a different way. And we know that our kids learn really important lessons because of the consequences that they face. And we are absolutely no different for that. But here is the good news. There's a different way that we can live. I love verse 8, nestled right in the middle of this whole passage. 
if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. You know, that's a reference back to Jesus. It's a reference to Leviticus 19.18, which is actually part of the laws of Torah for the Jewish people. But it's also a reference back to what Jesus said in Matthew. And he was asked by the teachers of the law, hey, what's the most important commandment? We've got this whole list of laws to follow. What should we do? And Jesus says, hey, it's simple. You know, all you need to do is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus is calling us right there in the middle of that passage. Hey, come my way. Because I've actually got authentic love. I've got a way of seeing and living that actually shows love without prejudice. Love without any ulterior motives. And it's the most amazing way in life. Now, you know that question that we were asking before? We kind of get to the end of this scripture. And I asked the question, why were they showing favoritism? Like, they're not silly. These are the Jewish people. They know the laws really well. Like, it was completely woven into their entire fabric of life. They know the consequences of not following the ways of God. They love God with all of their heart. They want to follow God. So why? Why is this issue of favoritism even an issue? And why would you do it towards the rich who are actually the ones that are hurting you? And why would you do it if you know the consequences of continuing to do it are really not great? Why? Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret, but you have to promise not to hold it against me. I bite my fingernails. Now, if you look at me after the sermon today and go, oh, fingernails aren't that good. These fingernails are actually amazing because I bite my fingernails right down to the point where it really hurts and then I pay for it for like the next week because it's throbbing. And um, I told my kids about this because I'm trying to get my four-year-old son to stop sucking his fingers. So I thought, hey, we can do this together. This will be awesome. Bud, you stop sucking your fingers. I'll stop biting my fingernails. So, you know, we had this accountability thing happening and my other kids knew about it. So we are driving down the road and Esther screams from the back of the bus, stop, mom. And I've like slammed on the brakes and pulled over to the side of the road. I'm thinking I've hit something. Something's happened back there. Someone's dying. I turn around and she goes, mom, you're biting your fingernails. (laughs) I said, awesome. Can you please just tell me in a much nicer way? So if you see me biting my fingernails, maybe just a little tap on the shoulder. Say, Mel, are you okay? Because the reason I'm telling you this story is because I have bit my fingernails for as long as I can remember. I have also tried to stop biting my fingernails for as long as I can remember. You name it, I've tried it. I've done band-aids on my fingernails. I've done like really sticky, horrible plaster things. I've done the nail polish that tastes really bad. I've done willpower. I've set myself reward charts like... I have done everything to stop biting these things until one day I had a revelation. The external issue was not the external issue. What you see is me biting my fingernails. The reason I bite my fingernails is because I'm stressed. And when I'm stressed, I bite. I do it without thinking because fingernail biting is a really disgusting habit. I get it. 
but I don't even know I'm doing it until I've actually bitten them right down to the point where they hurt. And I tell you that example because I don't think we can read this passage without going, okay, James, what are you actually getting to at the heart of this? Because we can just go, favoritism, got it, won't show favoritism. But James is actually going, okay, favoritism is the thing that we're seeing, but let's look at the real issue. And he hits that in verse 4. He says, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Oh, that sounds a bit harsh. But all James is actually saying here is, do you know what? The real issue is in your heart. The favoritism is what we see, but what you actually have in your heart is this faulty default. You're actually judging people with wrong motives. Okay, and that faulty default, remember we spoke before about all the influences that make you who you are, the world system, your family, you know, the things, media, all your experiences, all these things actually create a faulty default. And if you think you don't have one, just stop and think about what you do when you walk into a room full of people that you have never met for the first time, like never met before. Do you not kind of scan people and go, nah, that one looks like me. I reckon we'd get on well. Let's go and start a conversation over there. <laughs> or what about when you're scrolling? There's my phone. We do this a lot. Scroll through our Instagram feed and we see a picture and we go, oh, I wouldn't put that picture up. You know, you're a Christian apparently. Oh, look what they were doing on the weekend. Oh, they don't really have authentic faith, do they? Like, we do it all the time. If we're really honest, where does that come from? This internal commentary that is constantly going in our head. It happens in the world. Like, the world, you pick up a magazine, you pick up a, you watch the news, you just scroll through your other Instagram feed, like the world is constantly critiquing, comparing and criticising. And we just pick that up from there. But James says, do you know what? You don't actually have to live with that internal commentary running round and round your head. Do you know why? Because it's actually going to suck the life out of you. That's why I'm telling you this. Because God's got a different way that you can live. He's got a way you can live that has great freedom. He's got, a, he's got an amazing way because that's what Jesus did. And I just, I think the reason that James wrote this, he passionately loves these people. God passionately loves us. And I was going, well, God, what would it look like if our internal commentary was actually all about, um, all about Jesus? What would that actually look like? And I love this thought. You know, what if we were scrolling through Instagram and instead of criticizing based on what they did on the weekend or judging, you know, based on the number of selfies that they had or what you saw, what if every person that came up in your feed, you actually said, Holy Spirit, tell me something, and you prayed over them? This thing suddenly becomes life-giving instead of life-sucking. What about if, you know, you get into that lunchroom and there's John at the table sitting on his own and John's John. He's a little bit weird sometimes and... You know, he's just that person that's really hard and he's the person that everybody talks about when he's not in the office. What about, what about if you sat with John and said, Holy Spirit, give me something for John. 
And the Holy Spirit goes, do you know what? John has a lot of courage. He's been through a lot of stuff in life, but he's got courage to continue. And what if you spoke that word? This is the different value system. It's actually seeing prophetically into people's lives according to the way God sees them. And it's actually speaking that into them. And that's what James is calling us up to do. You know that house down the street that's pulling your value down because they never mow the lawn and they've got rats there and there's that kid that plays out the front and he's always really dirty and the mum's always screaming. What if, what if you could know what God had spoken about each of them and you could pray into their lives? Let's be that church. I kind of feel like James has now led us into this crossroad. He's kind of taken us through this passage of scripture And he's led us to a place where the challenge is now on us. He goes, okay, I have shown you two ways. There's this way of favoritism where there's this internal commentary and critique that is running through your head all the time whenever you see people. It judges people. And then there's this other way. There's this way that is life-giving. There's this way that actually speaks value into people. There's this way that calls people up to who they're meant to be. You're at this crossroads now and you kind of get to choose which way you go. And I want to tell you that a default is defined, right, as a pre-selected option. You can change your default. You can actually, over time, in all the little decisions that you make, set a new default in your mind. And the way that you do that is you look at the life of Jesus. You allow his life to actually shape. You allow the word of God to actually shape the value on people so that we stop seeing people the way the world sees them, the labels that the world puts on them, and we actually see them the way that God sees them with an incredible love and a value and a potential. They have a life that we may know absolutely nothing about. But God knows it because He formed them to live it. And He just needs one of us, authentic Christians, to see it in them and call it up out of them. And then we just have to do it. I love that song that we were singing about repentance because your internal commentary default will pop up. You know the best way to kill that thing is just to go, God, I'm sorry. Help me to think differently. And the Holy Spirit will place something into your heart and you will begin to see them. Speak highly of people. Comment well on Instagram. Don't be involved in conversations in the school pickup line that pull people down. Choose to pull yourself out. Do you know what? It might ostracize you a bit because it's countercultural. People like to tear people down, but we are called to be different. Amen. We choose to have a to have a new normal. Maybe volunteer at the Victory Centre so that you can get to know someone and place value on someone who doesn't have what you have. If you want to look for some good examples, and I want to call out Margie Padgett because this woman has a heart that sees people. Margie, you have a heart that sees people for who they are. It is beautiful. It is inspiring. Okay, and we want to follow the example that you lead in Jesus. And she needs more people to love like Jesus for these people that she speaks value into. And they find Jesus because they get judged everywhere except when they sit in Margie Padgett's office and she has a conversation with them. I could name heaps of you. I saw Jan this morning. Jan Kay, Bruce and Jan, you guys are amazing. You got time for people. I can't see where you are, but you're amazing. (laughs) You see people for who they are. We have so many examples.
church, would you stand with me? We're just going to close our eyes. And we're just going to listen to the Spirit. Because I believe that He's showing us our faulty default because He's calling us up to something so much greater. I want to read my Instagram feed with life and prophetic calling and praying over people. I want to walk into rooms and I almost want to be overwhelmed with the Spirit of God going, hey, check out my friend John over here. Hey, look at Mary. Hey, can you see Emma up there? And he's calling out things that they are. And you get the privilege of speaking that into their lives. Imagine how the world would be changed if authentic Christianity spoke value into the lives of those that are not valued. So God, just I just want you to hold out your hands before God. The Holy Spirit will have been speaking things into your heart. He might bring specific examples where He kind of shows, hey, your faulty default was at work in that situation. Or He might just be convicted about something really practical like your Instagram feed or like the way that you behave at work or things. Let me tell you, I'll remind you again, there's no condemnation in Christ. That's just God going, hey, can I get your attention? Because I want to speak directly into that. Can you just pray to God right now about that? Because I tell you, if you don't bring that to God now, when you walk out these doors, you'll just be back into the world. And this little message will just seem like a little message that was at a certain point in time. But when you put that before God now and you make a a commitment to Him that, hey, I follow you, Jesus, and this isn't just a little thing. I want to be completely transformed in this area of my life. I don't want to judge people anymore. When you make that commitment before God now and in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you when you walk out this door and if your faulty default starts playing again, the Holy Spirit will catch you in that moment. And you get to make that choice to go, okay, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to do something new. So God, we just come before you. And we thank you that you are the God of all grace and mercy and that you give us passages like this in James because you're calling us up to something amazing. You're calling us up to a life where we get to prophetically speak life into people, where we see them for their genuine value in you, Jesus. We thank you for the privilege of living that. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us in our faulty defaults, that they are going to slowly and surely become a thing of the past as we continually lay them at your feet, as we say sorry, and we allow the Holy Spirit to empower us to choose a different way. And we're going to see that our default actually becomes like Jesus. It actually becomes life-giving. It becomes authentic. And people find the love and the value of God in who we are. We lay that at your feet, Jesus, and we thank you. Just while your eyes are closed, you know, Heidi Baker says that God's love is big enough to touch any life, to make light out of any darkness. And Jesus loved people back to life. You might be here today and you might need to be loved back to life. You know, you might not know this Jesus that I talk about. We might have known Him at one point, but your life has actually taken a path that no longer looks like you're following His way. And I want to tell you that there is nothing too big. There's nothing that you've done that could stop God loving you back to life. He has life for you. And He sent His Son Jesus so that that sin in our lives, those things that separate us from God would be done away with. And we would actually be seen 
as a child of God and welcomed into His kingdom and given the Holy Spirit to empower us to walk in His way. Now you may not understand all that and you don't have to, but that tugging in your heart that says, I want to know Jesus, I wanna know a bit more, that is the Holy Spirit calling you because He loves you and He wants you to know Him. So if that's you today, can I just encourage you to just pop up your hand because we'd love to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus and the amazing decision that you will make and then the great journey that you'll get to go on. I'm gonna share our testimony with you. Just while everyone's eyes closed, no one's looking. If you wanna know Jesus for either the first time or if you wanna come back to Jesus, if you just feel He's tugging on your heart to say, I wanna make a commitment again, just raise your hand. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.